Greetings to those who watch below. Today's stories take us to the mystical land of Scotland, with its highlands, lochs, and numerous spirits. But before we start, I'd like to say a huge thank you to Ghost City Shelton, Lefty Kim, Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Jess Black Curtain, Aztec Priest, and Lisa Watts for being those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership that gives you shoutouts at the start of every video. If you'd like to join them, make sure to check out the link in the description box below. Now, on with the stories. Knowing My Demon by Lauren McKay Sometimes I find myself drowning in the memories of paranormal experiences that still linger in the back of my head from day to day. Some things just simply cannot be unseen. I think that spirits, demons, or whatever they may be, are beings that no living person could ever understand. In this case, seeing is believing is a good way to simply word it up for you non-believers out there. Maybe a family member, a friend, or even a stranger has told you that they have seen a ghost, and you thought it was ridiculous. I think anyone could understand why that is. My life was pretty ordinary when I was a young kid. After my encounters, every part of my life changed. The way I thought, the way I saw life. I changed for the better, and suddenly the things that remained unanswered in my head made sense to me. I was blind, but now I can see. There are things that have happened to me that I've never been able to compare with anyone else. Things that would make your spine rattle. But every day, I muster up the courage to move forward and forget, although some things can never be forgotten. My family own an old house on the north shore of Scotland, in a place that not many have heard of, Melness. I remember the house next door. It was old and abandoned. Nobody would buy it, and no one would enter it. It was a place that everyone feared. I don't know what really happened in that house, but it always creeped me out. It was made from rocks that were almost ancient. It must have been there for hundreds of years. There were no doors or windows blocking my view, but for some strange reason, even on the brightest days, no one could ever see a glimpse of the inside of the house. To this day, everything about that place remains a mystery that I'm too afraid to solve. I spent a lot of my childhood in Melness. It's an isolated place that isn't shown on many maps but I can bet that anyone who visits will not have a hard time remembering the place. It was mostly highlands, fields and beaches, probably the most Scottish place anyone could go. I can still smell the salty Atlantic Sea. The water was pure, like it had never been touched. I can still see the washed up shipwreck that lay on the sandy shore. My dad always told me terrifying stories about Malness and the weird things that happened there when he was just a boy. He told me one specific story that really grabbed my attention. It was about the cave on the beach that is also known to be haunted. He was on the beach one day playing, as there's nothing much else to do in Malness. My dad, being brave, decided to go into this cave. To the right, when he was inside, there was a very dark corner, almost pitch black. It was a hole inside the wall of the cave, a hole so dark that no man could ever be brave enough to enter. He was scared, but he brushed it off, and just assumed that if there was anything there, it would be an animal. So instead of going near it, he just decided to throw some sand in, to try and prove to himself that there was nothing there. It's okay, he thought, as nothing happened. 
but that was only until a few seconds later. Sand had then been thrown back at him. Him, being alone, did not stay in that cave. He's been back to the cave occasionally, but the one thing that really spooks him to this day is that the hole was never seen again. I experienced my first paranormal event in the house in Melness. All of my family have seen and heard some weird, unnatural things in the house. Inside, it wasn't very scary looking. In fact, it's very homely looking until you spend your first night there. As you walk through the front door, the bathroom is what you first see, as it was under the stairs. There were three bedrooms and one bathroom upstairs, and downstairs the right was the kitchen, and to the left, the living room. In the living room, there was an old red curtain that separates it from the conservatory, and that was where I first encountered something that was somewhat terrifying. One night, we were all asleep. Me, my sister, my dad, and my grandpa. I was only young at the time, around the age of six. I had woken up and dragged myself downstairs to the bathroom, and when I got onto the bottom of the staircase, I couldn't help but notice that the curtain that led to the conservatory was blowing, as if the outside door was open. And it was. It was wide open. Which was very strange, as we all locked the doors before bed. But me being young and oblivious to odd things that went on inside the house, I just locked the door again, went to the bathroom, and back to bed. The next morning, I was woken to the sound of my dad calling me from downstairs. I got up and went to see what he was shouting about. When I got downstairs, I said, Daddy, what is it? And he pointed to the conservatory and asked if I was up in the night. I slipped past the curtain and realised the door and all of the windows were wide open. I was gobsmacked and just explained to him that it wasn't me and told him about how I came down and shut the door. Then, later that night, a similar thing happened. Every single kitchen cupboard was left open. I was young, but I knew this wasn't a coincidence. The first time I ever saw a spirit wasn't in that house, in fact. It was in a rather new house that I was living in with my mum and my stepdad. But I have always believed that if a spirit was following me, it followed me from Melness. As you walk into the house, you're in the living room, and there's a door separating the bedrooms and bathrooms. It happened in the middle of the night, just as I was going to the toilet again. The bathroom door faced the living room one, and as I passed by, I looked through the living room door. You couldn't really see through it properly, as it was textured glass, but you could still see shapes, like the couches and the table. The one thing that caught my eye in that living room still gives me shivers down my spine. I have never seen anything more terrifying in my life. It was a tall, black figure, almost like someone wearing a robe or dress, and as I looked in, I could tell that the figure had turned towards me. I screamed at the top of my voice. I thought I was dead. I ran to my mum's room straight away and lost my toenail under the door in the process. I jumped in between my mum and my stepdad, still screaming. I was terrified. My stepdad went through to the living room and the black cloaked figure that I had seen with my very own eyes had gone, like it was never there. But as I walked into the room behind him, I felt a disturbing chill that filled the air. I just wished that someone else had seen it, so people hadn't thought I was crazy. Though, I never doubted myself for a moment. 
I never had thought that the second time I would see a ghost, it would be the same dark figure, but it was. I knew it right away. The tall black silhouette that I had already seen in my living room had come back to me again, only this time I was back in Melness. It must have been around 2005, and I was nine years old. I had asked my stepbrother to come downstairs with me, so I could go to the bathroom, and he waited outside the bathroom door, and I felt a lot more safe. But I was still scared. I couldn't even look in mirrors at night, or take a glance out of the window, as I was scared of what I might see glancing back. As I was just washing my hands in the sink, I suddenly heard banging and screaming at the door. It was my stepbrother, and he had obviously seen something that had scared him. I opened the door in a flash, and the first thing that caught my attention was the figure that I'd seen before, standing outside the front door. We both hid in the bathroom, sitting in the bath blocking the door with a set of drawers and anything else we could find. For about three hours we hid, not knowing what may be lurking at the other side of just a bit of wood. The only thing that was separating me from the thing I feared most was a bit of mahogany. I thought that maybe that it was a good thing I was seeing it again, to reassure myself that it wasn't just my immature imagination. I was glad I had someone there to see it too. It was just what I'd need it. From that day on, I was sure it was following me. But what was it? And why? A while after that, I went to the library with my friend to do some spiritual research, but I found no information that was important to me. It was only recently I have read some things that explained what my strange black shadow may be. I've read about shadow people and demons, but I find it all really strange. I've never been one to believe in demons. There was still not enough information to explain to me what's going on. There was one last time I've seen my ghostly follower, at the start of May last year. It had been nine years since I'd last saw it. Sometimes I'd almost forgotten and finally felt at peace, until that day. I was staying at a friend's house, and was sitting on the back corner of his bed. It was against the wall to the right, and in front of me was the television, and to the left, a large mirror on the wall. He'd gone out of the room to go for a shower, and I was watching something on the TV, when I got a strange itch in my back. I suddenly turned my head towards the mirror, and I saw it, right behind me. In the mirror, I had seen the spirit I thought had left me, and it was right behind my back. I'd never had a more terrifying moment in my life until then, and it was worse. I could tell it had touched me. In the end, my friend thought I was nuts, and we lost contact. But now it seems that whatever is happening to me, whoever or whatever is following me, might never stop. It was only a couple of months ago I moved into my flat with my boyfriend. It was maybe two or three weeks ago, and I decided I'd had enough, and decided to write this story about my hauntings. I've been running in circles as I attempt to address questions for which I had no answer. It was the other week that I felt maybe it's going too far. My boyfriend was working in Glasgow, which is a half-hour train ride away. It was about nine o'clock at night, and was dark. It was just me and my cat in the house, and I was doing my makeup, getting ready to go out. I was holding my small mirror in my hand in front of me, when I heard my cat make a really weird noise. I went through to the bedroom, and she looked terrified, hiding behind the blinds. 
weird cat, I thought to myself. I looked around to see what may have disturbed her. I opened the walk-in cupboard for her, which needs to be pulled and pushed really hard as it gets jammed. Then, I went back to the living room and sat down on my couch, leaving the bedroom door open for me to see through. I then carried on doing my makeup, looking in my small mirror while putting on foundation. Suddenly, there was a huge, loud bang, as if a door had actually been slammed shut. I looked through, and it was the cupboard door, and I could see my cat sitting on the bed staring at it. This is when I got really scared, and looked back down at my makeup mirror to close it, and put everything down, and there was a huge crack going through the mirror. I didn't know what else to do, except shout my cat through and take her outside. I told my boyfriend everything, and it was only a few days later that windows started unlocking by themselves. The Black Mausoleum, Edinburgh Notoriously malevolent and often nameless entities, poltergeists can range from the violent to the truly wicked. One particular poltergeist can actually trace its origins back to an evil man from 17th century Scotland. Known as the Mackenzie Poltergeist of Edinburgh's Greyfriars Kirkyard, it is said to be the ghost of Sir George Mackenzie. On paper, the man was everything a gentleman should be, well-rounded, intelligent, and a man of words. Educated at the King's College, University of Aberdeen, and the University of St Andrews, and the University of Bourges in France, he was a member of the Scottish Parliament, and also a member of the Privy Council of Scotland. In 1677, Mackenzie became Lord Advocate, and served King Charles II of England, where his primary responsibility was to punish anyone who rejected the Church of England, or refused to swear loyalty to Charles. Anyone who refused to follow Charles II's edicts was rounded up. This included members of Scotland's Presbyterian Covenanters. So, George Mackenzie set out to do the King's dirty work. In 1697, Mackenzie rounded up approximately 1,200 Presbyterians and took them to Edinburgh. Since the number of prisoners outnumbered the prisons, a makeshift prison was assembled in Greyfriars Kirkyard, a graveyard, to incarcerate the remaining 400. It became known as the Covenanters' Prison. It is said that the prisoners were subjected to inhumane treatment, including starvation, exposure to the harsh elements, and torture during the winter. Some prisoners were deported, while others were executed and buried in Greyfriars. This state-sanctioned reign of terror was the direct handiwork of Mackenzie, who eventually became known as Bloody Mackenzie. He was single-handedly responsible for killing nearly 18,000 people during the eight-year period in Scottish history dubbed the Killing Time. He died at Westminster in 1691 and was buried in Greyfriars Kirkyard, not far from the site of his atrocities. His tomb became known as the Black Mausoleum, and 300 years after his death, the legend of the Mackenzie poltergeist was born. The story began when a homeless man staggered through Greyfriars in 1998, either looking for shelter or something to steal. While trying to pry open a casket in the tomb, 
he fell through a hole in the floor into a burial pit, where he found himself among the rancid bones of plague victims from centuries past. The stench of death filled the man's nose, and he ran off screaming into the night. Not long after, two visitors to Greyfriars encountered an eerie presence at the tomb. The first claimed that a sudden blast of cold air pushed her back as she neared the mausoleum's entrance. The second remembered next to nothing. Instead, she was found unconscious near the mausoleum, with choke-like bruises around her neck. In the past twenty years, word of the Mackenzie poltergeist has entered the mainstream. Nearly five hundred visitors have claimed to suffer mysterious assaults at the graveyard. Many have ended up with bruises, burns, lacerations or gouge marks. Others suffer blackouts and are overwhelmed by nausea. Still more report odd sounds, such as knocking or pounding. An exorcism at the mausoleum was attempted in the year 2000 by Colin Grant, the minister of a spiritual church. Grant said that he felt the presence of hundreds of tormented souls, and most certainly, the presence of evil. Eventually, he left Greyfriars in distress. A few weeks later, he was found dead of a heart attack. The Isle of Butte, 1992, by Lucia, 1968. I have had quite a few incidents over the years, which I have not been able to explain or rationalise. The following event is one that sticks in my mind the most. My boyfriend and I had booked a holiday in Scotland, and had been travelling around. It was the beginning of October, if I recall correctly, but the weather was particularly mild that year, and we had booked three days on the Isle of Butte. We had chosen a gorgeous cabin, which was situated with five others on a private country estate overlooking the sea. It was rather remote, but beautiful. The cabins were spread over a huge area, on a large sloping piece of grassland. Each cabin was accessed by a simple gravel driveway, met by one solitary lane, which took you up to the main entrance at the top of the hill, which joined the long tree-lined avenue. Also at the entrance was a smaller utility cabin, which was only open during the day, and had washing machine facilities and an outside phone box. The only trees to be seen were those lining the four-mile avenue entering the estate. We had spent the day travelling around the nearest large town after nearly checking at the cabin. It was dusk when we returned. My boyfriend was driving, and we both weren't talking, just taking in the views. We started driving up the avenue, which was lined with trees. As we drove past, you could see past the trunks of the trees to the fields and the sea beyond. As we started to approach the entrance to the field of our cabins, I noticed a woman standing outside the utility cabin. She had a long, pale grey dress on. My first thoughts were that she must be a bit cold wearing a nightie at this time. I just assumed she was using the payphone. I didn't say anything to my boyfriend, but continued to watch her as we drove closer along the road. I had a good, clear view of her. I saw she was crying, and looked extremely pale. I was concerned as I thought something was quite wrong. We turned the corner into the field, and she was gone. At the same time, my boyfriend said, Where's that woman gone? He had seen her too. 
There was no way she could have simply disappeared just like that. We stopped the car, got out and looked around the cabin, which was locked. There was no sign of her. The nearest holiday cabin was a good 50 metres down, and there was simply no way she could have run there in a matter of seconds. My boyfriend described her to me exactly as I had seen her. Both of us got chills down our spine. We couldn't explain it at all. When we got into our cabin for the night, we felt quite uncomfortable to be fair, and had rather a restless evening. The next morning, we spoke to the gamekeeper, who confirmed that a grey lady has often been seen. It is believed that she was a young woman who was scorned by her lover before their wedding, and had hung herself from one of the trees along the avenue. Unexplainable Heavy Breathing in the Countryside by Dobbs 357-13666 Me, my brother and two friends were camping in the forest not far from my house, about two miles roughly. We live in central Scotland, in a village not far from Loch Lomond. We had a fire and were sitting by it most of the night having a drink and occasionally going down to the river to check our fishing rods. It was about early to mid-October, and there was a really bright full moon in the sky, with no clouds to be seen. It was getting late, or early, as the case may have been, so we decided to go up for a walk to this hill that we had passed earlier, which had a bench on top of it, overlooking an open meadow, which the river we were fishing from meanders around. So, we marched along the path, up the hill, and sat gazing into the night sky, along the tree line on the horizon, and down onto the grass-filled meadows, which hugged a path that followed alongside the river. We sat for a few minutes, smoked a few cigarettes while we talked and laughed. We were all just about to get up and leave, but as we stood to collect our beers and check we hadn't dropped anything, I noticed heavy breathing that sounded like somebody had just been for a run. Before I could even say anything, my brother asked us to all shush, the breathing was so heavy and direct that I started to wonder if somebody was watching us. I told everybody to hold their breath in case it was one of us, but the breathing continued. By this point, everybody can hear the breathing, but we were still half drunk and laughed it off, thinking that maybe people were out for a romantic midnight stroll, and the four of us had just stumbled upon something steamy going on in the bushes. One of our friends even jokingly started trying to get a response by calling out, but there was no response whatsoever, just the heavy breathing, which we could all pinpoint to the edge of waist-high grass, ten feet in front of us. I started to wonder if it could be an animal, but no animal I know could breathe that heavily without us seeing it, or grass moving from its movement. Pretty much straight after that, the breathing got louder, and it felt like we were looking directly at it, and it was looking straight back at us. By this point we were all pretty damn scared to say the least, so me and my brother broke two branches off a nearby tree, and decided to move towards the breathing. Both my friends are really starting to freak out, and trying to convince me and my brother to come back to the camp. We still to this day don't know what the hell was going through our heads. It was more than likely just curiosity, but I'm pretty sure something happened to a cat that had too much of that stuff. Anyway, as we approached, the breathing stopped. 
we stood at the edge of the waist-high grass and looked down the hill onto the moonlight-filled meadow. It was really bright for about one o'clock in the morning, and we could see all the way down to the river. More importantly, there wasn't anybody or anything about. Then, the breathing starts up again, but this time it's about 15 foot down the hill, just about at the start of the meadow. Me and my brother look at each other, and can see that both of us want to find out what's causing this breathing. So we march down the grassy hill, clubs in hand, to try and at least catch a glimpse of whatever is causing the noise. As we approach the bottom of the hill, the breathing stops again. Me and my brother are pretty much back to back by now, waiting for anything. Then the breathing starts up again, further into the meadow. Now bearing in mind that it's a full moon, we could see across the whole meadow of grass, and into the woods that are on the other side of the river. We never saw anything move, or see the thick waist-high grass move, at all. We never even heard any kind of movement. You would at least have thought you would hear the grass being brushed past, but nothing. So while wondering what the hell it could be, we continue into the grass. We can hear the breathing really clear, and we can tell we're getting close to it, as it's getting slightly louder. But as we come to a small clearing, with clumps of grass about knee-high, and an old worn-down barbed wire fence, the breathing stops again. This time, for a good minute or two. Our friends who are still stood at the top of the hill must have been scared out of their minds, and were calling down to us to come back. As my brother tells him to hush up, all of a sudden, the breathing starts up again, but this time, really loud and deep, like the things touching shoulders with us. So much so, that we both started to shout and swing the branches around like a couple of scared cavemen. This must have had some effect, as the breathing stopped, but then started again seconds later, further away from us towards the river, and sounded like it was continuing to move towards the river. There was a clear patch where the path was that was following the river, so if indeed there was something that we couldn't see, somehow managing to hide in the grass, and not move the grass in any way, then we would see it break from cover to cross the path. So, we ran after it. As we got close to the edge of the grass, we stopped to see if we could hear the breathing, and sure enough, it's still making its way toward the river. But as we get to the path, nothing. The breathing has stopped, and not one of us has seen anything cross the path. We start to look back into the grassy meadow, to see if we can see any movement. We were just in the process of shouting up to our friends if they had seen anything, when all of a sudden, the breathing starts back up again. We turn around, and whatever it is, is now on the other side of the river. The breathing felt so unsettling, like it was staring right at us, like it knew we were aware of it. Probably not in the best of moods, after just having two madmen swinging sticks chasing it, but at that moment, when we realised it had somehow managed to cross a good ten-foot clearing without any of us seeing or hearing it, and not only that, but crossed a river which must have been twenty feet across without us seeing it or hearing a single splash or drop of water, something didn't feel right. Me and my brother both ran along the path as fast as we could, and we were completely terrified. We got back to our friends, and we were all getting our asses the hell out of there. 
but as we started marching back down the hill, the breathing was right back where it started, at the top of the hill. I still, to this day, get goosebumps when I think about that night. It has forever changed my outlook on the way we look at this amazing world that we live in. I used to laugh at the ideas of ghosts, and to a certain degree, I still do. I am, however, open-minded, and don't think for a second that science has the answer to everything, at least not yet anyway. But to say for certain, what it was would be impossible. All I know was it was not an animal or a human. Could it be a spirit? Possibly. Perhaps there is more to this world than what we can see and touch, but that does not mean that ghosts or spirits are the only option. Parallel universes, different dimensions. Heck, let's not even forget the fact that some people believe that extraterrestrial life has visited our planet, or is even here right now. No more out there than the belief of angels, demons and spirits. In fact, some say the testimony of encounters with angels and demons are possible extraterrestrial encounters. Maybe there could be more living creatures that science has trouble identifying, in a different spectrum that we are used to seeing. Who knows? I'm not a religious person. Spiritual, yes, but not religious. Perhaps we're tapping into something that just isn't in our understanding yet. Hopefully one day, something will shed light on this phenomena. Hi guys, I really hope you enjoyed today's video. If you did, make sure to like it, and also leave a comment down below. If you haven't subscribed to the channel, please do so, making sure to hit the notification bell so that you'll know when our next video, which is our last leg of our tour of the British Isles, goes live. So, until next time, sleep tight.